If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. For cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith. You're listening to Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells the stories of the changing American South. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm Sarah Camp Milam. Producer Dana Bialik first told the story of women hunters stalking their prey in the wetlands of the Mississippi Delta back in 2018. But as another duck season draws near, how near, Sarah Camp? Well, Melissa, Mississippi duck season opens each fall at 30 minutes before sunrise the day after Thanksgiving. The most avid duck hunters, my husband among them, are twitching by the time the pumpkin pie hits the table. And if they play their cards right, they're out the door bound for the Delta by the time the turkey is cold. I fact-checked that last sentence with my husband's lifelong best friend this morning, and he offered this correction. Twitching is an understatement. (laughs) Then what happens? The next morning at O'Dark 30, as bargain seekers are lining up for Black Friday sales, Duck hunters are launching their boats, thermoses of coffee or Bloody Marys in hand, and heading to their blinds. For the 40th or so year, my husband Kirk, his brother, their best friends, and our Labrador retriever, Ferris Bueller, will be among them. (laughs) So we knew this was a story worth revisiting. What happens in your house during duck season? So, as you know, Melissa, we've got a soon-to-be four-year-old and a soon-to-be seven-year-old. And the rhythm of life changes during duck hunting season, which stretches, and I do mean stretches, (laughs) until the end of January. Kirk and Ferris spend conservatively nine out of the next ten weekends at the duck camp, while Kirk, Sally, and I watch too many episodes of Bluey and Paw Patrol and eat too many chicken nuggets. So... Um, I want to say that most duck camps are dudes only. Some are. But to be fair, Kirk's is open to the whole family for all but the first and last weekends of the season. I'll pack up the kids once, maybe twice this winter, for an afternoon of riding the four-wheelers, admiring the farm machinery, and dining on Rotel Dip, venison sausage, and duck poppers. But other than that, I'm usually a duck-duck pass. 
And that's a pretty common story around here. Men and older kids hunt while women and young children stay home. And that's why I like this story so much. The Swamp Witches, as the women in this episode call themselves, flip the script. In this story, women rule the duck camp. Women cruise through the frosty pre-dawn delta to settle into their duck blinds. Women call and women shoot. Dana Bialik takes us to the Mississippi Delta. We were getting ready to go out and a fellow walked into our camp and he made the statement, do you girls have to have a license? That's Lind Bussey. Like if you're a girl, you don't have to have a duck license like guys are required by law to have a duck license, and so are women. Well, he just couldn't believe that you women are going out there? And that's Lila Sessoms. By yourselves, with, without a man? Who's going to call the ducks for you? Who's going to pick up the, who's going to shoot the ducks for you? We we're like, well, we, we are. He just couldn't believe it. Lind and Lila have been duck hunting together for almost 20 years. They belong to a group of women who hunt in the cypress groves of the Mississippi Delta. They call themselves the Swamp Witches. Men are often surprised to stumble upon a half dozen women, not in the company of husbands or fathers or brothers, at the hunting club. Those men are often in jom boats with outboard motors. Paddling traditional canoes, there's something simultaneously antiquated and avant-garde about the Swamp Witches. And we later saw that guy as we were blasting away, taking our limits that day, and... They came by in their go-devil, and we were standing by our canoes, and we had been having a fantastic hunt. And they were, and we said, are y'all going back in? And he said, yeah, you know, I've, I got a hole in my waders. And we were like, oh, we hate that when it happens. I met the Swamp Witches at Ward Lake Hunting Club outside of Clarksdale, Mississippi, at a hunting camp that belongs to Allison Cruz and her husband, Jim. You could say that Allison's the ringleader of the Swamp Witches. She loves this place. We're actually behind the Mississippi River levee that stretches pretty much from Memphis all the way down to Vicksburg. It's absolutely wilderness and wonderful and wild. Driving into the Delta from just about anywhere else, you feel how this region is a world of its own. It's just not as tame as some places. I mean, a lot of places in the world, they control the water, they control the hunting. And yes, I know they sort of control the Mississippi River by having this big levee, but behind the levee, it's pretty much um, um, up to God as to what happens. There's something majestic about Allison. In her 50s, she beams youthful energy. She's poised for adventure and the unexpected, and it's hard to imagine her wearing anything but her hunting clothes. Allison's an insurance agent in Clinton, Mississippi, just outside of Jackson. But during hunting season, she spends as much time as she can out here. Allison invited me to come along on a duck hunt, and I arrived at camp the day before, on a crisp and bright January afternoon. Allison was still out in the deer stand. It was nearing the end of both duck and deer season, and Allison wanted to make the most of it. She'd been in the swamp that morning hunting ducks. Later, while walking to the deer stand, she saw a wild hog. And out jumps this giant hog right in front of us, and I went, oh, <laughs> there's a hog. Boom, shot it. Allison grew up hunting in this area. I remember... 
learning to use a gun when I was a, a little girl with my father, and he started me out with um, a 12 gauge. I wanted to be there so badly, and I was never afraid of the guns. I just they they kind of gave me an adrenaline rush, and I probably was about nine or ten years old when I first started hunting, so I was pretty young. It was unusual for a young girl to be hunting, but Allison didn't think about it that way. She just liked being out there and spending time with her dad. When my husband and I started dating, his passion was duck hunting, and at the time, mine was dogs. And so Allison started duck hunting with her husband and bringing her golden retrievers along. Then I got to where I wanted to learn how to um, actually call ducks and do all this myself. So in about the year 2000 was the first year that I took a dog that I'd trained out into the swamp and actually killed my first limit of ducks by myself. And the magic of that made me feel like I wanted to share it with other people. It will come as no surprise that women are a minority in hunting. In Mississippi, women make up about 6% of all hunters and an even smaller percentage of waterfowl hunters. But those numbers are on the rise in Mississippi and across the country. At the same time, studies by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service show that the total number of Americans out hunting is on the decline. Dr. Luke Laborde is on the wildlife faculty at Louisiana State University. He studies the human dimensions of wildlife, particularly of waterfowl hunting and waterfowl management. I study hunter recruitment and retention and the motivations and the reasons why they participate and the reasons why we've had a long downward trend in the number of hunters. Hunting numbers peaked in the U.S. that we can measure in the early 1990s and for the last 20 years uh, have been gradually declining. That's largely attributed to an increasingly urban and suburban population, even in historically rural southern states. You just don't wake up in the morning and when you've never been and say, oh, I think I'm going to go duck hunting today. It really is a very structured program that requires mentoring, requires knowledge and expertise, requires specialized equipment. With all the distractions of media and alternative forms of recreation, it makes sense that fewer Americans are hunting. And although this may sound counterintuitive, the decline in hunters is actually a threat to waterfowl populations. The number of hunters is inextricably intertwined with the available funding for habitat. You have to have great habitat to have good waterfowl populations or wildlife populations of any type. To have that, you have to have support, and that means people. So as we decline in the number of people actually engaged in hunting, we get fewer dollars available for management, for habitat acquisition, for habitat maintenance. State wildlife agencies and the Federal Wildlife Conservation System rely heavily on hunters for funding through license fees and excise taxes on hunting equipment. In a user play, user pay system, a decline in users is a looming crisis. So people like Dr. Laborde are thinking about how to recruit new hunters, including women. The really neat thing is that women is the primary demographic of hunters in general and waterfowl hunters that appears to be growing. There's tremendous opportunity for women to help reverse the trend in hunting decline by mentoring other women. Allison agrees. 
But I think the most important thing we can do as hunters is take friends and talk about it and share it with other people. We're not out there trying to just kill for killing's sake. It's it's a celebratory time of conservation and we all, we want to shoot what we eat. What's fun about hunting with a group of women? What's not fun about hunting with a group of women? I mean, we just get out there and have a great time and there's no, um, it's just about being together and enjoying the time together. We love to shoot ducks. The fun thing about us duck hunting together is it's a very social sport too. You can talk and visit and have a good time between the times when the ducks are coming. Dr. Laborde is interested in what motivates people to hunt. And that tends to be different for men and women. Female hunters are more than twice as likely uh, as male hunters to actually hunt for meat for the table uh, and are almost two and a half times more likely than males to hunt with friends and families. Uh, For many males, it's more about the sport. I asked Allison what it would look like to stumble upon the swamp witches in the wild. I don't think you'd stumble. You'd hear us for a long way away because we're laughing. We're having a good time. We're celebrating the shot. And she says they respect their kill. I mean, we don't just throw them in the boat. I mean, we hang them up and make sure they look pretty. And, you know, they're, they're even, that sounds so strange. But <laughs> I guess the best way to say is even in death, we want them to look lovely because they are beautiful creatures. And um, we do eat everything we, we kill. And that's part of the respect of it. While Allison was out retrieving the hog from across the slough, I was back at camp in the kitchen with Lind and Lila while ducks simmered on the stove. Lila hunted these ducks earlier in the week. I browned them first with garlic and Tony Sachery and onions and bell peppers inside of them. I browned them, then took them out, sauteed onions and bell pepper, put the ducks back in, covered them with water and chicken stock. They stayed on the stove for four hours until the meat falls off the bone or starts to separate off the bone so that you know they're good and tender. Lila decides to have the ducks and serve them over rice. When the swamp witches are together, Lila's often the cook. But all the gals eat duck year-round. Because we, we get it made into sausage. So we have lots of duck sausage, duck breast. It's easy to see that the swamp witches have a lot of fun. We pop some champagne. To kick off the last weekend of duck season? Well, it's just usually what we do when we get Allison and Jim's camp is homey and efficient. It's perched on stilts, and there's a stable for Allison's horses underneath. Inside, a handful of bunks means that the place sleeps as many as can fit around the big dining table. The walls, shelves, and mantles are brimming with mallard decoys, taxidermy, and framed photos of hunters and their felled game. And there's lots of swamp witch memorabilia, signs and ball caps, even engraved walking sticks for wading through the swamp. I learned that the swamp witches get each other matching gifts every year at Christmas. The gift this year? This is a wine opener that looks like a very large pistol. (laughs) And it pulls the cork out, and then you keep the trigger going, and it spits it back up for you. So all the swamp witches got one of those this yeah. year. Yeah, because you know you never know when you need a <laughs> a very large pistol. 
Lila grew up duck hunting in the marshes of southern Louisiana. While both her parents hunted, it was her mom that took the time to teach her how to handle the shotgun and the dog and how to blow the duck call. She stopped hunting at age 14 when her parents divorced and didn't pick it up again until 15 years later when she moved up to Mississippi. Allison had donated a hunt for a fundraiser and Lila bought it. The two of them became fast friends and continued hunting together. Allison started inviting others to come along, friends she knew through horseback riding. They became a group of six that kept returning to the swamp. Allison, Lila, and Lind, of course, but also Kate Morrison, Lee Bailey, and Susan Williams. One day while they were sweeping out camp, someone remarked that they looked like a bunch of swamp witches. The name stuck. Lind credits Allison and Lila's patience for the way that she and the others were able to take to duck hunting. I always say Allison and Lila are the best teachers because most women learn lots of things through through men who sometimes can holler or get frustrated very easily. And how does one learn how to do something unless someone teaches them? Nearly 20 years later, the Swamp Witches still hunt together. On this trip, it's just Allison, Lila, and Lind. While we wait for Allison to return from the woods, Lind, Lila, and I thumb through an old photo album. Uh, This was after a big night. Can you describe for me what's in that photo? Well, this is Kate. She is lying down in the canoe with her fur hat on and all of her gear. And I noticed, thank goodness she didn't forget her lipstick. (laughs) 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 Nevertheless, she's having to take a little early morning nap. So that's- They had a romp around on the four-wheeler the Mm -hmm. night before. They, They had a lot of fun. There's a lot that's striking about the photos in the album. The camaraderie and joy, the thick swamps and cypress groves, the ducks fastened to waders, everything brown or dark green or gray or black. Also striking is the array of hats. The swamp witches wear fur hats and tweed hats and waxed hats. And out in the swamp, this sets them apart. So we tend to stick to the color scheme instead of the normal camouflage that most people While most of the photos are of the swamp witches out in the swamp, there's many photos of them around the table. Being at camp isn't just about hunting. It's also about spending time together and spending time in this enchanting landscape. And eating food from the land makes them feel all the more connected to this place and to each other. return to camp, the hogs being processed at the skinning rack, the sun's down, and it's finally time for dinner. After we load up our plates, Allison's husband Jim gives us a blessing. Dear Lord, thank you for gathering us together. Thank you for this good food, the blessings of this place, and for good friendship. Thank you for all your blessings, most of all for your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Cheers to the hog. And the box and the duck and the goose and the goose downstairs for the alpha gal girl. I've never eaten wild duck before, and Allison has to show me how. This is drumstick. Pull it off. Yeah, it's like a chicken leg. Mm-hmm. As we sit around the table eating meat off the bones, Lila regales us with stories about growing up hunting and the rhythm of being at duck camp with her family. We played poker. We ate dinner. We went to bed, got up early in the morning, shot ducks, came back, 
ate breakfast, took a little nap, woke up, played poker, ate dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like pee and repeat. And so, <laughs> the Swamp Witches also feel like a family. They're so comfortable with one another, and they've got their own rhythm. They'll be up before the crack of dawn, but that doesn't stop them from enjoying the night. I'm younger by a couple of decades, and I'll confess that I was a little surprised that I was the first to go to sleep. The Swamp Witches stayed up, drinking wine, laughing, and, of course, practicing their duck calls. When we come back, we'll join the Swamp Witches on one of the many oxbow lakes along this stretch of the Mississippi River. But first... For eight generations, the Samuels family has distilled American whiskey. Today, Rob Samuels, the grandson of founder Bill Samuels Sr., oversees the operation of the Maker's Mark Distillery. From the soft red winter wheat they've sourced from the same local farm for over 60 years to the char on their barrels, every step in the bourbon-making process is carefully crafted, just like Bill Samuels Sr. did when he first created the handmade bourbon. For their excellent spirits and their support of this podcast, SFA thanks Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark crafts their bourbon carefully. Please enjoy it that way. Hi, it's Melissa. And if you're looking for another great podcast from the South, then you have to check out No Small Endeavor, produced by our friends at Great Feeling Studios and PRX. Each episode, award-winning professor and Nashville native Lee C. Camp merges the worlds of philosophy, theology, the arts, and more to ask the question, how can we live a good life while nourishing the soul? Plus, it's the only show I know that features everyone from legendary actor and filmmaker Rob Reiner to Southern activist and author Anthony Ray Hinton. So go ahead. Follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell them Gravy said hey. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. What time is it? It is 547 and it is 32 degrees. And the sky is clear. There's stars everywhere. And I can't wait to see what the day holds. So where are we now? Now we're in Bobo, Mississippi. And we're approaching right here this curve here is um, the, this is Bobo Break, Oxbow, old Oxbow from the Mississippi River. In Oxbow is a body of water that forms when a wide bend or meander from the main stem of a river is cut off. A break, B-R-A-K-E, is a low-lying area that holds shallow, non-flowing water. They're populated with cypress trees, and the rich aquatic life attracts ducks. And then we're about to head over to the next break, which is called Black Bayou on the map, but Black Bottom is what we call it. We're caravanning from camp to the swamp, and I'm in the car with Allison and her Chesapeake Bay Retriever, Axe. Allison's driving a big SUV and hauling a trailer full of boats, three canoes and a P-Row. What's the P-Row? It's a one-person, flat, very stable boat, um, and that's the one I will 
rot in with, with axe. Dogs play a tremendous role in duck hunting. When a duck goes down, it's the dog that retrieves it. And so being able to handle your dog is as important as having a good shot. There's a lot of perks to using the canoes and P-Row over motorized boats. Nothing can break down or malfunction, and the swamp witches enjoy the quiet of their woman-powered boats and the self-reliance. And we don't shoot out of any of these. We just um, pull up to our spot and we'll hide them and um, cover them up with camouflage and they look like big logs. So it's really easy to hide these canoes in the P-Row. a lot of bustle when we arrive at the boat launch. We're in the last few days of deck season and folks are up and out early. There's engines and motors and tires and mud. There's harsh headlights and taillights and men hollering at dogs. And then when we're finally out on the water, everything is serene. I'm in the bow of the canoe while Lind steers from the stern. As we near our spot, we set out decoys. We unload the boats and stow them, and the shooters wade out into waist-deep water, standing side by side, shotguns ready. Allison hangs back with the dogs. And shooters are going to be up to these trees, but be careful getting there because it's deep. Everyone's in position, but it's still a few minutes too early to shoot. So now we're just waiting for, mm-hmm. for waiting on waiting on this is first light. It's um kind of a golden glow behind us, and um, there's a few ducks circling overhead, and we'll just sit here and wait till shooting light till we can shoot them. So the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks regulates waterfowl hunting. Shooting hours for migratory game birds start one half hour before sunrise. All right, ladies. One comes in. We can shoot. That's for calling them? Mm-hmm. This is it. There you go. It's a hen saying, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, goodbye. Kind of stress sounding. Now I'm looking around to see if I can see any ducks and kind of get an idea of what they're doing and what call to use when I see them. We don't just call to call. We call when we see a group of ducks. A bag limit restricts the number of ducks a licensed shooter can kill. In Mississippi, that's six ducks a day. There's days when the ducks are abundant and the swamp witches hit their limits early. And then there are days like today. One of the things I'm doing now is making ripples across the water. Ducks see that. I think they're ducks over here. We're not seeing too many ducks, and the ducks we do see aren't coming into land. Allison remains hopeful that things might turn in our favor. Ready? That was a pair of mallards, and this late in the season, they're paired up a lot, and it's hard to call them to convince them to come over here. They kind of want to do their own thing, be off on their own. We're looking for the lonely single mallard drake. Ducks don't mate for life, just for the season. Now and they'll fly back north and make more mallards and come back. (laughs) 
Where where do they go north? Up to Canada. They go all the way back up to Canada. And this is a, this is the big flyway. The Mississippi Flyway. It's the bird migration route that generally follows the Mississippi River in the U.S. and the Mackenzie River in Canada. About 40% of North American waterfowl use this route. This morning, that's a little hard to believe. We've been standing in the cold water for more than an hour now. But we're warm in our waders and hats. There's a lot of patience in hunting. You have to be comfortable not knowing what, if anything, is ahead. And then, out of nowhere... There we go. Get some ducks flying around. Lila shoots a duck, and her British Labrador Skeeter is off to retrieve it. Ha ha! Those sneaked in on us. That's what we need. Good job, girls. Lila takes the duck from Skeeter. What do you have there? This is a gadwall. Some people call them a gray duck. They call them beautiful. The swamp witches didn't shoot their limits that day, but that's just part of it. So, you know, if, if you knew exactly what was going to happen, it would get boring. But at this point of life, um, that's what adds spice to the adventure is you don't know if you're going to stay dry, if you're going to be warm enough, if ducks are going to fly. Regardless, the swamp witches will return to camp. They'll sit around the table, laugh, eat duck, drink wine, sleep, wake up early, and return to the swamp. Repeat. Gravy's first intern, Dana Bialik, a Salt Institute alum, reported and produced this episode. Since 2019, she's worked as an audio producer for Story Mechanics. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music and Jazar for our donor music. We owe a huge thank you to Clay Jones and Broadcast Studios of Oxford for recording and mixing Gravy. Basically, Gravy sounds good because Clay has skills. (laughs) Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is my co-host, Sarah Camp Milam. Olivia Terenzio is our podcast editor. Mary Beth Lassiter is our publisher. Want to learn more about the Changing American South? Visit us at southernfoodways.org. Read oral histories, watch films, or listen to this podcast. While you're there, become a member or make a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us make more gravy. I'm Sarah Camp Milam. And I'm Melissa Hall. Excited to lap up another episode of Gravy? Tell a friend. Pass the gravy boat. There's plenty to go around. Gravy is proud to be a part of APT Podcast Studios.